Would you take your Bibles and join me in Romans chapter 16? Romans chapter 16. Man, it was a long time ago we were in Romans chapter 1. I don't even know when that was. I I ought to look in my computer and see. It's been a while. I've enjoyed this study. Next week we will end it. And then we're going to do some things for Thanksgiving and Christmas. And about New Year's we'll start a new study. This is a fitting finale to the book of Romans. It is a doxology of praise that the Apostle Paul pens in glory of the one whom he has written of. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. As we've looked at this chapter, we looked at all the various greetings that are in it. We spent two weeks looking at a closing appeal. When he says, watch out, avoid, and he gives us the reasons. After that closing appeal, the Apostle Paul returns into some greetings. And in verse 21, he says, Timothy, my fellow worker, and you know with me who Timothy is. He's written of many times in the New Testament. He greets you. So do Lucius and Jason and Sosipater my kinsman, I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, telling us there that like all the other New Testament letters, um, Paul has dictated them, and a man has sat there with pen in hand. Of course, not a pen like what you carry, but pen in hand and a scribe copied this down. And so Tertius, the one who actually was the scribe, greets them in the Lord. Gaius, who is host to me and to the whole church, greets you. Erastus, the city treasurer. God loves to save government officials. He did it back then, he does it today. We should pray for our governing authorities. And so we see here the city treasurer. Erastus has been saved. Our brother Cordus greet you. And then verse 25 is the doxology. Now, think of the word now. Now. After everything we've studied, the sinfulness of man, the righteousness of God in saving sinful men, the love of Christ demonstrated to us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The Holy Spirit's power in chapter 8. Chapter 9, 10, and 11, the sovereignty of God in saving. And yet welded into that text is the great truth that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Amen. We got to chapter 12. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercy of God, present your bodies a living sacrifice, 
wholly acceptable to God. It is your reasonable service. We talked about civil government. We talked about gifts. All the things in this letter. Paul began the letter explaining the central purpose of the letter when he said to us in chapter 1, verse 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. And therein, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Now, now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but now has been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God. Be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. Join me in a word of prayer. Lord, it is difficult for us finite human beings to fathom in any way what it means when we say you are the eternal God. That you are the only wise God. That you are able. Lord, we look at our lives and we look at the events in our lives. We look at our frustrations. We look at our joys. We look at our daily experience. And we sometimes forget that our lives are not lived in a vacuum devoid of your intervention. That each one of us is seen by an eternal God and each one of us is accountable to you and each of us has the joyous, joyous pleasure of being able to worship you. Oh, Father, I pray that as we think of these words this morning, that you would draw our attention away from ourselves, away from our circumstances, that we may see you high and lifted up, a thrice holy God, and that we may worship you in spirit and in truth. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This is a doxology. Now to him. Now to him. And then he closes. To the only wise God, 
be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. Doxology. Doxology is praise. Sometimes we sing the doxology. Um, We don't sing it very often here, but every once in a while we do. This is the most common doxology that churches sing. It actually comes out of the Genevan Psalter from the 1500s. It is, of course, translated into English. They didn't sing it in English, but you know that doxology, perhaps you know the words to it. Praise God. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above, ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, Holy Ghost. Amen. There's another one that sometimes is sung in churches called the Gloria Patri. Maybe you've been in a church that sang the Gloria Patri. I was in a church once that would sing it almost every Sunday. And um, the Gloria Patri was written in the second century. Think about that. When you sing a song like this, you're singing a song. This was written in Latin that was sung by believers for 1,800 years. Second century. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Ghost as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Amen. Here we see that kind of same language of praise. Now to Him be glory. We see the three members of the Trinity mentioned in this. The Holy Spirit is the one who discloses the mystery. We see the Son who has purchased us to Himself through the Gospel. We see the Father who is working all these things according to the counsel of His will. And we see a concluding Amen. Let it be so. The word doxa or Doxology, the word doxa means glory or praise. So when we sing a doxology or we say a doxology, it's interesting, I was thinking about that as we were singing um, the, the last song in our worship service. You know, there is a Redeemer, Jesus, God's own Son. And he says at the end of that in the refrain, thank you, God the Father, for giving us your Son and leaving the Holy Spirit until the work on earth is done. And so you see that in a doxology. A doxology is a song that really revels in praise and glorifies the triune majesty of our holy God for all that He has done, not only in creating, but more importantly, in redeeming and saving us from sin. I want you to notice the flow of this doxology in this text. We're going to acquaint ourselves with it a bit today, and we're going to think about the central part of it. Next week, we will study it in conclusion to our study of the entire letter. But I want us to think about the flow of the entire thing here this morning. Notice, first of all, he says, To Him be glory. To Him be glory. To Him be glory. Be glory. My glory, the Scripture says, I will not give to another. 
He alone is God. He's the only wise God. And he says here in the scripture, to him be the glory. And so when we sing and we think of doxology, we are attributing to God the glory that is due to his name, the majesty, the grandeur, and the praise. There are some questions that we should analyze as we look at this text. First of all, it's the what? What does he do? He is able. Notice what it says there. Now to him who is able. This explains to us the what in the doxology. He is able. Now notice the second part of this. What is he able to do? In my translation, the ESV, it tells me he is able to strengthen you. The word is establish, and we're going to look at that word in a little more detail in a few minutes. But this is what God is able to do. He is able to strengthen you. He is able to establish you. You say, he doesn't know me. He doesn't know my problems. He doesn't know all the circumstances that are going on in my world right at this moment that just seem out of control and seem like are beyond my ability to win any victory over. Maybe it's some sin. What does he say in the text? He is able. He is able to strengthen you. Now notice this. What is he able to do? He is able to establish. Who is he able to do it to? You. We'll look at that in a little more detail in a minute. And then how does he do it? I want you to notice the word according. Three times in the flow of the text, the word according appears. So it says this. He is able to strengthen you, number one, according to my gospel, Number number two, according to the revelation. Number three, according to the command. Now, this explains to me, this word according is telling me how God strengthens me. God doesn't strengthen me by telling me to eat my Wheaties every day. Right? God doesn't strengthen me by giving me vitamins. God doesn't strengthen me. That's not what God is doing in my life to give me strength and to establish me. What does he do? Number one, this is how. According to the gospel. And the gospel, notice the text, is all about the preaching of Jesus Christ. What is God's good news? The word gospel is good news. What is God's good news to you? Jesus Jesus Christ, what he did on the cross. The first thing that God will do to establish you is he will bring to you his good news. His good news is Jesus Christ. According, secondly, to the unveiling of the mystery. And that mystery is in what, does he say in the text? It is in the prophetic writings. The second thing that God does to establish you, to strengthen you, is his Holy Spirit will unveil to you his word, what he has given us. Stability in the Christian life is directly linked to time in the word of God. 
We'll look at that. And then the last one. According to the command of the eternal God. According to the command of the eternal God. He is able in the Gospels the disciples were on the boat in a storm-tossed sea. They think they're going down. They wake up Jesus. Jesus sits up And he gives a command. And the waves and the wind cease. The disciples, after Jesus goes back to sleep, look at each other. And they say, who is this who commands the waves and the sea? And it obeys. His command. According to the command of the eternal God. It is by His command that we are established. That is the means. That is the how. Now this doxology traces the purpose of God from eternity past, when He commands, and in the secret counsels of the eternal God, it stretches all the way into time to the accomplishment of God's decrees. And so He commands, and He carries it out in Jesus Christ. And the scope of all eternity and of all the ages is pictured and spoken of in this doxology that we see. What do we learn here about God? Let's just do this real quick. Just a couple things I want to draw your attention to. What are some things we learn about God in this doxology? Number one, He is able. He is able. Number two, He reveals Himself. God reveals himself to men. He's not just sitting up in heaven letting us work out things on our own. No, he discloses himself. He unveils the mystery. He is a God who reveals himself. There is a verse in the Bible that says, if you will seek him, you will find him. He will show himself to you. He's not hiding from you. If you will seek him and you will come to him in faith, he will reveal himself to you. He is a God who reveals Himself. Thirdly, He is eternal. He is eternal. Oh, what a blessing that is in changing times. God never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, forever. Men change. New men get put in office. New governments are drawn up. New boundaries on maps are drawn because of wars. Things change all the time on the planet. But God Himself, He is the eternal God who never changes. We see here as well, He is the only wise God. That doesn't mean there are other gods that aren't wise. 
It simply means he is the only God, and that one God is wise. He is the only God, and he is wise. He is able. Remember that old chorus? He's able, he's able. You remember that one? I know he is able. I know my Lord is able to carry me through. You know that song? He's able. It's so interesting. I took some time this week, and I pulled out a concordance. She's laughing because I was singing really bad. (laughs) Pulled out a concordance and looked up the word able. And just looked at all the things that God is able to do. There's only a couple things God is not able to do. Book of Titus, it tells us he is not able to lie. He tells us the truth. Other than that, the Bible says he is able. He can do anything. Consider some things in some other doxologies that talk about the ability of God. By the way, this is the Greek word dunamis. It speaks of his power, his ability, things that he can do. We're building a house for my mom right now next to us, and we're putting it on some beams. And the other day, I thought I would move one of those beams. And I bent over and went to pick it up, and I found out I was not able. I could not do it. I needed my son. I was not able. I did not have the strength. God is strong enough to meet any crisis and demand in your life. He is able. Notice this one. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, once again, we have a doxology. Now to him. Notice that same phrase. He is able to do above and beyond all we ask or think according to the power that works in us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. So, think about this. What can you ask or think? What can you ask and think? So think about, what can I ask or think? And then he says what? He is able to do above and beyond anything I could ask or think. Ask or think is the baseline. Anything you can ask or think, and God can do what? God is able to do what? Above and beyond any of it. That is God's ability. Notice this one. In Jude, verse 24 and 25, it says this, Now to him, same thing, this is doxology, he is able to keep you from stumbling. Now this is interesting. Don't read the rest of the verse. Think with me. The book of Jude is written about false teachers who stumble and fall and apostatize. That's what the whole book is about. False teaching. And in that very context, he says to us, be diligent, but rest at ease. If you know the Lord, and you are in his hand, no man can pluck you out of that hand. Nothing. He is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you 
stand in the presence of his glory. You ever think about that day? You're going through your day, and let's say you all of a sudden have a heart attack and die. And you go from whatever's going on to the presence of his glory. My friend, any one of us at any time could go from here to there. When I think about that transition, I'll be honest, it's a little overwhelming. But it tells me here, my ability to come into his presence with joy is not based on anything in me. It is based on his ability to keep me and to bring me there. And when I come, I'm coming in with joy. Blameless with great joy to our only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, power, authority, before all time, now and forever. Amen. You know who wrote that, by the way? Jude. Who was Jude? Half-brother of Jesus. He lived with him. He knew him. He knew him really well. Probably next to Mama, he knew him as good as anybody on earth. They're brothers. And he realizes who this Jesus is. And he's looking forward to seeing him again. And Jude has. He is able. You. Notice this. Look in the text. He says, to him who is able to strengthen you. Strengthen you. Now, you is a, what we call in the English language, a pronoun, right? He doesn't give a name there. He obviously does that for the reasons that the Holy Spirit has intended. I think for one of the reasons is so any one of us can put our name there. He says it's you. But I want you to consider something about this you. You know with me that the word you is not specific. It is either singular or plural. In the old King James, in the old King's English, do you remember how did they let you know that a you was plural. Anybody remember? Ye. Good job. The word ye. When you're reading your old King James Bible and you come to the word ye, it is telling you it is a plural you. This one is plural. He is able to establish you all. He is not speaking about God's purpose to individually establish us as much as he is speaking about God's purpose and ability to establish his church. You all. That God has a plan for his church. And God is bringing his church to glory. Now, we are individually a part of that church, but he is talking to the entity. He is able to establish you all. I'm not going to take time to go through that verse. Now, what is he doing? 
What is he doing? We've got to look at this real quick, because I'm running out of time. He is able to establish. The word is the Greek word sterizo, and it means to plant. Here it says strengthen in my ESV, but the Greek word sterizo means to plant. The word ritzo, this word right here, the root of that word is the word to be rooted. To be rooted. Have you ever heard of the word a rhizome? A rhizome is a plant that grows and, uh, what do you call it, Uh, procreates through its root system. It's a rhizome. And so you can see there in the word rhizome, the word rizzo, to be rooted. And so this word is literally talking about being planted. God is able to plant you, to establish you. Or as the ESV says, strengthen you. Psalm 1 says what? Blessed is the man who does not walk, the counsel the ungodly. He does not stand in the way of sin. He does not sit in the seat of the scorner. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. God is able to plant us. Notice this word to be rooted in Ephesians 3. He says he's praying that the Messiah may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you being rooted, notice the word rooted, and firmly established in love, may be able to comprehend. God wants to root us. Notice Colossians 2, verse 6. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith. God is wanting us to be rooted. And God is able to root us. Two functions of roots. What do roots do? Number one, a root absorbs nutrients and moisture from the soil. If a plant has no roots, it cannot live. Because it is through the roots that absorption takes place of the minerals that it needs and of the moisture from the ground. Yes, there are other factors in in, in bearing with photosynthesis and other things, but one of the main functions of roots is to absorb nutrients. God wants to root you so that you can absorb the nutrient of the Word of God. As you study the Word of God and you are rooted deeply in Him and your roots go deep into Christ, the second thing, a root provides anchorage to the plant. It holds it. And God is establishing us He is providing an anchorage to us so that we stay. Consider some things about roots. Number one, healthy roots are essential for stability in life. What's the difference between a perennial and an annual? When you think about grasses and grains and other things, the basic difference is the roots. A root of an annual plant continues to live. The root of a, per, or of a perennial plant continues to live into the next season. So that even when the plant dies on above ground, the roots are living in the earth. And it comes back to life. Whereas an annual, the roots die. And because the roots die, the whole thing is dead. Healthy roots are essential for stability and for life. You can't see the roots. You can't see the roots. But when do roots get revealed? In the storms. In the storms. When does a tree fall over? 
Not when just the sun is shining and everything's good. When does the tree fall over? When the wind is blowing. You can't see the roots, though. And I can't see what's going on in your heart. I can't see how deep your roots are going into Christ. God does. Amen. You can't see the roots. Roots take time to grow. Roots take time to grow. It takes time to develop a healthy root system. And while roots are being established, plants need extra shelter and care. So God cares for us. He is our refuge. And I want you to notice this one. This is important. Fruitfulness is directly linked to rootage. Fruitfulness and rootage go hand in hand. And I was thinking about this this week a little bit, and I've got to do this real quick, but if you think about this, God is not in the business of raising ornamental trees. He is in the business. He's got an orchard, and he wants fruit. I remember when I was in California, visiting in California once, and we were dry. It was like in early March, the end of February, and we drove by all these almond orchards. I guess you call them orchards. And the trees are uglier than sin, right? They are pruned to the max. But some farmer knew the way you get an almond tree to bear fruit is you prune it. And you're not in the business of making a tree that looks beautiful, it's not an ornamental tree. You're in the business of wanting fruit. My friend, God is not in the business of creating ornamental masterpieces to display his glory by the way we look. No, God wants fruit. And God prunes. And he prunes in order to bring that fruit. In pruning, he removes the dead and extraneous branches, and he stimulates the growth of our roots. So they sink deep into Christ. I don't know if you've read anything about this. It's a picture of an aspen grove in Utah. It's called the Pando Aspen Grove. It is the most massive living thing on earth. It is 106 acres. And you can see the beauty of these trees, can't you? There's a little deer standing there, and then the beauty of those stately aspen trees. But every one of the individual aspen trees in that grove came from one root. They have the genetic material identical to one another. It is one massive living thing. 106 acres, beautiful aspen trees above ground, appearing in every way individual, but sharing a common root. One living thing. Beautiful picture of the church. What we see when you look at the Pando Grove appears to be a massive grove of thousands of individual trees. But what it is, in fact, is one single tree genetically the same, sharing a single root system. And when any part of that organism needs nourishment, the other parts come to its aid. It is rooted. He is able to establish you all in Christ, one entity, his body, 
When one part hurts, the whole hurts. When one part rejoices, the whole rejoices. One body. And he is able to establish us. To him be the glory forever. Amen. We'll finish this doxology next week. Let's close in a word of prayer. We thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you for your truth. I pray that, Lord, as we dismiss today and as we consider what you are able to do, I pray that you would help us in faith to appropriate to ourselves the promises you have given us in your word so that, Lord, when we come up against circumstances that seem beyond our control, we put our trust in you, the one eternal God who alone is wise. And so we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.